and welcome to Dead to Rights, the video podcast for the crime genre industry. I'm your host, Donna Carrick. Before we get to today's interview, I do want to remind you that coming out very soon will be our Carrick Publishing Anthology for 2020, titled A Grave Diagnosis, 35 Stories of Murder and Malaise. And wait till you see who we've got in this anthology. Just a number of names. It's really going to surprise you. I'm going to post a link to uh, where you can see all the names for this episode so that uh, you can start to get a real glimmer of who's in this anthology. And I'm very proud of it. Uh, Again, that is titled A Grave Diagnosis coming out towards the end of October 2020. Um, And it is 35 stories of murder and malaise. And now I'm very happy to bring you Robert Crawford, who is the author of The River Never Speaks. And he's going to tell us about his new book and uh, about his writing process and a few other things, whatever I can get him to talk about. So wish me luck, fingers crossed. And please give a big welcome to Robert Crawford. How are you this morning, Robert? I'm doing fine. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. You're managing to... uh, to uh, elude the uh, COVID plague? So far, yeah, for a while there, it was touch and go. Massachusetts was number three in the nation, but we've got the numbers down. So we've had a mask in place order since um, May 6th, I think. Good, good. Yeah, yeah. No, we're doing pretty good here in Ontario, but, um, you know, I mean, I'm still working from home and you know, my family is still trying to distance as much as possible. So we're just trying to elude it, you know, get to the other side. To be honest with you, Donna, I don't know how many people that you've uh, interviewed since the uh, pandemic started, but, you know, my life started really hasn't changed a bit. So, you know, <laughs> I hear this from a lot of living my life the same way. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. I hear this from a lot of writers because they tend to really just stay home a lot and do almost everything online anyway. So, you know, that's that's a common theme I yeah, hear. I mean, Rick Mofina said, uh, yeah, you know, it's no change for him at all because this is what he does. He's always got a book underway. So, so you've got a brand new book uh, coming out this summer. Like the River Never Speaks, right? Exactly. Uh, I haven't set a launch date yet, but it will be sometime in August, yes. Okay. Okay. And you've got a female protagonist who uh, was missing for a number of years. Tell, tell me a little bit about the plot. Can you kind of synopsize that for me? Well, without giving away any spoilers, um, Megan McNamara basically is a fictionalized version of Jamie Kloss. Jamie Kloss was a Wisconsin teenager who was abducted in December 2018, and her parents were murdered by her abductor. So basically, since this novel was ripped from the headlines, I just kept asking myself, what if, what if, what if? Which is what you do if you write a novel that's based on a real life story. So what would Jamie Klotz do, say 20 years down the road? Well, in my mind, she'd become a police officer and start investigating her own murder, no, her own parents' murder, her own abduction. Mm-hmm. Kind of like what Stieg Larson did. When Stieg Larson created Elizabeth Sawyer, he said, I just imagine Pippi Longstocking is a grown woman. So that's what I did, essentially. Yeah, yeah. You just extrapolate. You take what you know and you extrapolate into your imagination. That's exactly it. I remember the, the Jamie Kloss um, 
headlines quite well. And um, so in your character, she's become a police officer, but I take her back without revealing too much. Um, uh, can you give us a little bit of a taste of what she's going to encounter? Well, unlike Jamie Kloss, who basically escaped her captor after 55 days, Megan McNamara was held prisoner by her captor for nearly five and a half years. She lived in a basement. She underwent all sorts of mental, emotional, and physical torture. And then finally, at the age of 18, she escaped. And then once she got her life back on track, she got her GED. And then she went through um, a, a college courses, um, then went to the police academy in Madison, Wisconsin. And now, about 20 years later, she's been on the force for a decade. She's a detective. She's still investigating her own case. And then a mother is murdered somewhere in, in um, her own um, jurisdiction in, in the fictional Krause Corner, Wisconsin, in the fictional Fox County, and her daughter is missing. So then she sees immediately a commonality between her case and this new case that came up 20 years later. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so she's got to go on the trail and try and, and find out what happened and who done it and all that stuff. And you say it's coming out near the end of uh, August. How will it be available? Will it be um, print, ebook? It'll be uh, available on Amazon um, in print and ebook, yes. Uh, I don't think it's going to be the end of the month. I think it'll be sometime in August, but I don't believe it'll be the end of the month. I'm looking more toward a week or two, but I'll be putting links up, of course, when it does launch. Yes, yes. Send me a link too when it does launch, and I'll share it as well. You bet. I'd like to do that. So, what brought you to this style of crime fiction? Well, ordinarily, I write psychological historical thrillers. Um, if you've read The Alienist and Angel of Darkness, sometime um, March of last year. Excuse me? I've lost your sound, sorry. Are you still there? Yeah, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you now, yeah. Okay, so March of last year, I decided to um, just try a change of pace and just try to write something more contemporary like I used to back in the day. Mm -hmm. And then The River Never Speaks turned into uh, what is gonna be a trilogy, so. Okay, okay. So you're gonna keep the same protagonist and carry on through? Right, and throughout the, um, the, um, the, the length of the trilogy, Megan McNamara is going to get closer and closer to the truth about her past. Not everything is what it seems in this trilogy, and especially in the first book. And she finds out that her entire life has been based not only on a lie, but a, a, lie, but a delusion. Okay, okay. Well, that's pretty intriguing. Um, have you got titles lined up for the next two? Yes, the, um, the, the second book is... Um, you think I would know the name of this? See, <laughs> um, yeah, I got you with a gotcha moment. How about that? You didn't think I could. <laughs> Dark, Darkling, I listened. That's the name of the second one. Uh, can you say that again? Where, um, Darkling, I listened from the, uh, the Keats poem, Ode to a Nightingale. Mm -hmm. And the third one is going to be called Tableau. And that's when she's going to find out exactly who and what she really is. Tableau, I like that. That's a very evocative um, tableau. I like that. That draws on the arts uh, pretty heavily. 
Um, what kind of things inspire you when you're writing? Are you one of those people like myself that uh, is drawn to either visual arts or some really draw on music? Um, is it poetry? What is it that really kind of makes your creative juices go? Well, the thing about inspiration, um, you never know in what form your muse is going to take. Mm -hmm. It could be poetry. Sometimes, like T.S. Eliot, like T.S. Eliot once said, all you need sometimes is just a, a line from a poetry or even just a simple word or a smell to get yes. you writing a poem. Well, the same thing can, can also apply to fiction. And sometimes all you need to do is just read the right epigraph and say, wow, you know, I can make something of that. Yep. So, you know, if I knew where my ideas came from, I'd go there myself, you know. <laughs> exactly. And just sit there with a pen. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, it's, it's not so much ideas. Uh, people who, who are just entering into the writing world, they often ask, where do you get ideas? Where do you get ideas? It's not even always really ideas. It's often triggers, which I think you're kind of touching on there. Not even really right. a formed idea, but something just triggers a line of thought and then off you go you know it can be anything it can be a mood it can be uh, for my husband and i it's often visual arts like the canadian artists really the, and the thing about the, the canadian artists and all artists all visual artists is that so many of them died penniless and i think that uh, there's something in that that is just so profound right. that well uh, in my case or well, in the case of The River Never Speaks, all it took was just a headline and just reading about it a little bit. And yeah. then when I saw the possibilities of that, I said, okay, why don't we take the story and put it 20 years in the future? What would um, Jamie Kloss do, or in this case, Megan McNamara? Well, naturally, she'd want to investigate, you know, her own abduction and her parents' own murder because a lot of things don't fit. A lot of things don't jive with her because she is, after all, a detective. Yeah. 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 And uh, that would be the natural thing she'd want to do, for sure, you know. Um, I can't even imagine what that girl in reality went through. I mean, and there have been so many cases like that. There was the case of the one young girl that was taken as a small child and only escaped when she was around, what was it, 19 or so. Uh, what was her name, Elizabeth? Uh, Elizabeth Smart, I think, like the writer. Yeah, yeah Utah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's just, just a horrific case, you know? Um, and there's so many Terrible. like that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, what else have you got on the horizon other than the trilogy? Or is that just going to be all consuming? Are you working on anything else on the side? Short stories, anything like that? Well, I put um, Darkland on hiatus for a little while so I can start a new book. I don't know if you know anything about my, my canon, but I wrote a book back in 2015 called Town of Damalian, and it's about a um, fictional cameraman, Scott Carson, and he is a, the official cameraman for Buffalo Bill's Wild West and Congress of Rough Riders of the World. He's mm -hmm. the guy who, that invents motion pictures in, in line mythology, and they go to 1888 Whitechapel to hunt down Jack the Ripper. Okay. The book I'm working the book I'm working on right now is called Hollywoodland, and Hollywoodland actually follows the next 35, 36 years of Scott Carson's life when he finds out in 1899 that Jack the Ripper didn't really die, and he's pursuing him. So the story takes place across three and a half decades, across um, the, the the concrete canyons of Hollywood, uh, the concrete canyons of New York City, um, Thomas Ince's Hollywood studio, Inceville. 
all the way to World War I France and then back to California where the ending is going to take place at the Hollywood land sign. So it's, it's going to be, it's going to be um, probably even longer than Chatter de Mailing, which was 193,000 words long. Uh, obviously, nobody's going to want to touch it, so I'm just going to self-publish it, but hopefully right. that'll be out sometime early next year. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the beautiful thing about the platforms we have available now for any newbies out there who are not aware, um, with the platforms we've got available now, you really can. I mean, quality control is one thing. You've really got to pay attention to quality control, get expert help. Mm -hmm. But once you get beyond that huge hurdle, you really can do what you want. You've got an awful amount of freedom, a tremendous amount of freedom. You can publish works that are longer or shorter or, you know, not in the normal formula. I mean, you can do all kinds of things. So there, there's just a great, tremendous amount of freedom, which is frightening for some people. A lot of people really want that. Exactly. You know? I mean, the beauty of self-publishing and how it took off about 12, 13, 14 years ago was that it democratized publishing. Unfortunately, it democratized publishing. That's the downside. <laughs> and a lot of material that exactly. shouldn't the be out there is waves. out there because My people... Goodness. Yeah. The first three waves. I mean, as an yeah. indie publisher, I can tell you a story uh, that I think you'll like because I've seen a lot of your posts and things. Um, somebody submitted to me what was probably a great story. It probably was, you know, I mean, it was a cozy and cozies are very popular and, uh, but I couldn't get past the first paragraph because the first paragraph used the word gray seven times and I'm not making that number up. The word gray, the color gray. Um, my husband and I just roared. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was technically a sound paragraph. It followed all the technical rules of, of writing and style. But, and I don't think it was done ironically, um, but it literally used the word gray seven times. And I mean, I couldn't get past that paragraph. Every time I tried, I just laughed. So sorry, you know, the, and that was in one of the first waves of, of uh, the Indian self-publishing movement, you know, and it just kind of, I saw so many things like, and I'm sure you can just imagine, but things seem to have settled down now. People are starting, a lot of people are starting to understand that they still need editors, that they still need quality control of some kind. What they don't need and don't have anymore is gatekeepers, but they do still need editors and quality control experts and things like that to take a look at their work, you know especially newbies and so i encourage you start with your writing group and move on from there well i did hire a, a, a professional copy editor she also works um as a as a copy um, editor for um, some horror publisher i forget which one so i decided to use her services and i found out immediately that like john updike said everything that you do isn't you think is in some way marvelous and you think no matter how well you write in first draft, you come to discover when you hire a copy editor, that's not necessarily true. And you find out all the things that you're doing wrong that you copy out of the spots. And then you realize, holy crap, you know, I, maybe I should have been doing this all along. You a professional <laughs> editor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I do, use, I do use a copy editor. I have a professional graphic designer doing my coverage. So did they look, more or less professional plus i it's, it's a high learning curve when you publish you know with, with amazon and before that with create space and you have to learn as time goes on through process of elimination 
what looks good and what doesn't, how to do this, how to do that. Yes. It took me years before I found out how to mirror my pages so they, they look, you know, good. Yeah. You know. Yes. All right. So oh, it's a high learning curve. No, I mean, when I, when I started with the indie publishing, this would have been 2009, I spent hundreds of hours, hundreds of hours reviewing all of the literature I could find. One of the best pieces of literature I found on the subject was Mark Coker's information, his, uh, his original Smashwords style guide for the meat grinder, he called it. And uh, it was just brilliant. It was so helpful. And then I would get people who would not want to pay me for my service, but they would want me to tell them, well, how did you do that? Well, I spent hundreds of hours reading all the literature and, you know, trying and failing and trying again. And if you, you know, you want to do that, have fun, you know, <laughs> I mean, yeah, sort of, sort of balance, but if you want to do that, have fun, like, yeah. And it does, it takes a lot okay. of trial and error, doesn't it, to make it all look good on the page. Like I said, it's a high learning curve and you have to learn how to format, you know, how to do this, how to do that. Yeah. Well, like I said, it took me years before I finally found out how to mirror your pages so you don't have overlap, you know, between over the borders and the margins on one side or the other. Yes. And, and I needed somebody from CreateSpace to tell me that, okay, this is how you mirror your pages. You're not doing this. And I said, oh, that's how you do it. Yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and plus I also learned I also, I also learned recently, uh, within the last year or two, how to convert a Word document into a PDF document so it can be read in Acrobat. I didn't know you could do that. I didn't know the newest versions of Word allow you to do that until yeah. a best-selling author told me, this is how you do it. It's really simple. And I said, oh, that's how you do it. Yeah, you know? and the other, the other thing <laughs> so Like I said, it's a high learning curve. Yeah. And I'm kind of a little guy when it comes to technology. So. Um, that they've been telling me is that they want to get review copies out to reviewers and uh, right. a lot of reviewers are using e-readers and what do they do? What do they do? Well, it's very simple. If, you're, if your reviewer reads on a Kindle, simply send them the Word doc to their Kindle. Um, you know, ask them for their Kindle address and send it directly to their Kindle. It's secure. It gives them a perfectly formatted read, you know, just like as if they purchased a mm -hmm. book. And uh, best part of all, it, there's no cost to the author or to the reviewer. So it just right. puts directly onto their Kindle. So that's, that's the way to do that. And uh, if they don't have a Kindle, if they have some other type of e-reader, there are lots of ways around that. So. Or you can just convert it to an EPUB file or a Mobi sure. file. Exactly. So. They're not using a Kindle, you just get them the EPUB file. Very simple. So, I mean, I do this all the time now for reviewers. Um, there are mm -hmm. still some who insist on a print book for review, and that's fine, you know. I suppose we're going to get that right down the line, but yeah. What do you find in terms of reviewers? Do you find that most of them are amenable to reading on a, an e-reader? It's kind of split down the middle. There are some diehards like me that prefer paperbacks, and yet there are other people that are more with the times, and they say, well, I prefer an e-reader because these are the advantages, and somebody else will chime in and say, well, I prefer paperbacks because these are the advantages. So it's an either-or kind of thing. It's pretty much evenly split down the middle. I go back and forth because I'm old enough that I do love a print book, you know. Um, right. 
I mean, I grew up on print books, so you're always going to love them. But then on the other hand, look at these wrists. They get sore. And there's nothing like holding <laughs> up when you're reading band. It's so light, you know, it's so easy. Exactly. It, it doesn't, you know. <laughs> and if it if you fall asleep and it hits you in the face, it's not quite like uh, Margaret George's Henry VIII hitting you in the face, you know. <laughs> yeah. Plus, there's no need for a book light because you know, it's all backlit, you know. But yeah. I don't know. For me, I'm I'm more of a paperback guy. I'm 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 kind of old fashioned that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, I go back and forth. My husband still reads exclusively from books, and sometimes he'll be reading a book, and I can't wait from the finish. So I'll buy the Kindle one, and we'll read it at the same time. So, you know. <laughs> well, then again, I also have about ninety-nine or a hundred titles on my Kindle for PC. So, you know, I'm kind of a kind of a hypocrite in that respect. But you know, in the balance, I'd, I'd much prefer a paperback or a hardcover. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, it's great that we've got the platforms, though, that we can do all that. Um, uh, what would right. be the big? What would be the biggest piece of advice that you would give to new writers, other than don't do it? Because <laughs> we've heard don't do it. <laughs> Gosh, I don't know if I'm qualified to give advice, considering that I've never landed a big five contract. But yeah, but you've written. Books. I guess I would just have to fall back on the old chestnut and say. Just keep writing, keep reading, keep writing, keep reading. And when you're tired of that, keep writing, keep reading. You, you need yeah. to know what your contemporaries are doing. You need to know what your predecessors have done. And you need to know what to do and what not to do instead of writing the same story all over again or slavishly copying your idol. It, it would have been very difficult for me to copy Caleb Carr, who is the closest thing that I have to a literary idol, because the alienist made Tabard the Malian possible. When I read The Alienist, in 1996 for the first time and then the angel of darkness immediately after that i decided someday when i get better at this i'm going to write a historical epic i'm going to write a historical psychological yeah yeah but you know what though robert it doesn't on a par with the aliens and i did i've been writing almost nothing ever since excuse me it doesn't work that way as you said because you write what's in you you know, you think you're going to write what's in somebody else because you're so jazzed about it. But the fact is, we always end up writing what's in us. I was going to write this this great literary uh, piece on a, a great family side, uh, and I had the most wonderful idea. And uh, it ended up being another another uh, crime novel. <laughs> you know, coming okay. back to crime for some reason. Well, it's a scorpion and the frog, you know, you gotta act out your nature, you know, yeah, that's what exactly. it comes down to. Exactly, and just in case anybody wonders, no, I'm not a criminal. <laughs> I must be a criminal hunter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Please don't check my computer and my Google searches. I'm really a writer. I'm really a writer. Exactly, exactly. Oh my God. You know, they say a friend will help you bury the body, but a real friend will clear your browsing history. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Robert, thanks for being such a good sport and coming on video. I know you weren't prepared for it, but I really appreciate it. It was great seeing you, and I think you have a very fashionable mask. Thank you very much. And oh, thank uh, you. You're welcome. Stay on the line for just a sec, if you don't mind. I'm just going to pause the recording one sec.
And that was Robert Crawford, the author of The River Never Speaks and other great crime titles. So please look for his book to come out during August, as he said. And uh, I'll be plugging it in other episodes, too, because I think it's really important to get the word out for the writers that we interview here on Dead to Rights. A big thank you to Robert. Robert wasn't prepared for this to be a video podcast. Um, he thought it was just going to be audio. So <laughs> thankfully, he was a gamer about it and came on video with me. I really appreciate it. So, um, and also our thanks as always to Ted Carrick for the great theme song for Dead to Rights titled Eyes of Gold. And I hope we'll see you next week. Join us again. Dusty road, a man alone. His vital signs go on hold. And I don't know what you've been told. But the years have turned my eyes gold. And I told you what you told me. We'd never be in the same boat for free, yet it rides, let it ride.